Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. All right, folks, welcome to the program. This is The Other People Show. I'm Brad Listy here in Los Angeles. Very nice to be with you. Thank you for listening. I hope everything is okay, wherever you happen to be. And I'm excited to share with you another flashback. This one from episode 448, one of my conversations with Roxanne Gay, best-selling author of the books Bad Feminist, Hunger, An Untamed State, Difficult Women, Aiti. Roxanne is a contributing writer for the New York Times, she wrote The World of Wakanda, the Marvel Comics series. She writes for film and television. She has a substack called The Audacity, which has its own very popular book club. And this month, just a few days from now, very exciting news, her publishing imprint, her very own publishing imprint, Roxanne Gay Books, which she launched in association with Grove Atlantic, it is celebrating the publication of its inaugural title, a debut novel called And Then He Sang a Lullaby by Nigerian writer Ani Coyote Somtuchukwu. So a lot going on, as always, with Roxane Gay. It's hard to keep up with her. She's doing so many different things. So once again, this outtake that you're about to hear comes from episode 448, which first aired on January 11th, 2017, you will hear Roxanne and me talking about a variety of things, including hateful men online, unfulfilled entitlement, Twitter, fear, Marvel comics, breaking barriers, selling books, Channing Tatum, of course, and her book, Hunger, among other things. So let's get to it. This week's flashback from 2017, my conversation with Roxanne Gay. And so, the, you know, you go out and publish your opinion, you know, in a variety of places, New York Times, The Guardian, wherever it might happen to be. And when, whenever someone does that, you're opening yourself up to criticism. But maybe it's because uh, I've known you for a, wh- a while and uh, I've been following you on social media for a while, but you seem to attract some pretty nasty people who you will then sometimes at least engage with. Like, 
Can you talk a little bit about like why you do that and Mm -hmm. how it affects you? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know why, but I attract a very virulent brand of hater and 97% of those haters are men. And take that as you will, it's just a fact. And I used to, you know, people always say ignore it, brush it off, but I don't think people realize the extent of the problem. I think people think it's just Twitter, but it's not. It's Twitter. It's Facebook. They try to get my Facebook account deactivated. They send me crazy emails. They call my job, my day job, and they try to get me fired. And they send me crazy hate-filled letters at my day job because I teach at a state university. So uh, my contact information is public record for my campus address. And so I, I, I engage on Twitter to just bring visibility to the realities that writers and especially women writers and people of color who write face that it's not just disagreement. Disagree with me all you want and engage with me critically. That's fine. And, and, you know, I may not love it because, you know, I'm human, but it's totally fine. But the stuff that I can't stand is the hatred and the death threats and the innumerable insults about my appearance. Like, I know what I look like. You don't have to remind me. Thank you. Do you ever, um, do you ever, are you ever afraid? Do, do you ever, do you ever fear for your safety? Absolutely. I used to never be afraid, but now every time I go on stage, I just wonder if someone's going to shoot me. And <sighs> that's horrible. It's horrible to live like that, but I still do my events because I mean, what am I going to do? Stay home all day. Right. But it's definitely scary. There's definitely a guy who lives 45 minutes from me who I have blocked and he got very angry that I blocked him on Twitter. And so he started calling my boss and leaving these long rambling messages and talking to her. And so campus security knows, which is great, but I, I, and he has lots of guns. And so I always worry that he's going to show up uh, when I'm teaching someday. And that's not pleasant to live with. No. Hey everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called truth is the arrow. Mercy is the bow a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing, it's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. What is yeah, it? So what is it? it? What is, I mean, yeah. So you, you have a lot of insight. I, I, I would suppose into, or at least you have a lot of contact with people who are very upset and have a lot of anger. Mostly mm-hmm. men, almost all men. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, like I think when I when I ponder social media, 
and uh, I guess Twitter in particular, where people feel, uh, but I guess all social media, like you're saying, people feel more at liberty to uh, vocalize insults and use uh, hateful language and attack people. It makes me wonder when I'm out in the in the the actual world, when I'm looking around at people on the street, like like what is roiling beneath the surface in most people? Like because there's, there's a lot of people on social media who are just abominable. You know, like how many? Like yeah. what what are the actual numbers? Have you learned anything? Do you feel like you've learned anything from engaging with these people? Oh no. I do well I mean I've learned just how much hatred there is in this world. I think that most of the people who engage in hatred and on social media are are impotent in their actual lives. They're suffering from unfulfilled entitlement and this is a safe what they consider to be a safe way to release their aggression that they can't release in real life without committing a crime. And I guess that's supposed to be a comfort but I don't take any comfort in that. I, I think that it's pathetic that this is the best way that these people can vent their frustrations rather than, say, writing an essay or reading a book or going for a walk. I, I haven't, you know, there's nothing to learn. And the, when I engage, it's not really engagement. It's more just highlighting, hey, this terrible thing is happening and I'm not going to be silent about it. There's no engaging with these people. They're not really interested in discourse or discussion. They disagree. They disagree because of whatever reason they disagree. But they're not interested in engagement at all. They just want to put me in my place. Have you, like, ever, have you ever had somebody yeah. engage with you in that way who then over time may have actually read one of your books or came around and said, hey, you know what? I was wrong. Has that ever happened? Not that I know of, no. Damn, I was hoping for at least one. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Too optimistic. I mean, I do think that there are people who I've disagreed with, and we've had really good discussions about that disagreement, but the people who are hate-filled, no, they don't. A lot of times they don't even know who I am. Like uh, yesterday, <laughs> I was on NPR, and I, I said, there are more bad men than good. But... And I didn't even bother, bother to clarify this on Twitter. I was actually just talking about my book. I wasn't talking about the world. I don't think that there are mad, more bad men than good in the world. It was in my book. And I had also, uh, this part didn't make it into the interview, but I had been talking about uh, some of the good men in the book and the good men in my life. And the interview aired at like 4.40 and ended at 4.46. And at 4.47... I had two emails from men yelling at me for saying that there are more bad men than good in the world. These are not people who are interested in engaging. Uh, they didn't use common sense to consider the context of the book, which is what we were talking about. And so I know that there's no reaching them. Well, and who's got time for this? Like, what are these people doing? They got time to sit around emailing angry missives to strangers, you know, and tweeting hateful things that, you know, I don't get it. I don't get the, I don't get the free time of the trolls. I don't either. Like, how did they find my Facebook page that fast? <laughs> like, I, I can't do anything that quickly. Like, it's amazing in yeah. some ways. Like, if you took that energy and applied it to your hobby or your passion, you would become really, really successful. It, it, <laughs> it's mind-blowing. Like, yesterday was really mind-blowing. I just was like, 
what I mean, first of all, it's NPR. So, it, and it was a, a lovely interview with um, Audie Cornish. And I just thought, huh, of all the things that I've said and done, I didn't think that this was going to be like the pot boiler. And yet. But, you know, I think, too, though, you know, you talk about these as individual cases and, you know, random people like tracking down your Facebook in- information. But the truth is that you're becoming a public figure and people know who you are, you know, in a, in a broader way than you might even understand, you know, like things are happening for you pretty fast. And I think your name is out there and, you know, you're very prolific. You publish a lot in a lot of different places. And, um, you know, I think people might be reacting to you. Uh, in part because of that, like reflexively, you know, like the way that public figures often get reacted to. Yeah, I'm sure that's part of it. I, I, you know, I'm still working on accepting that. I mean, I'm not in denial. I know how many books I've sold. And how many books have you sold? Will you tell me? Uh, I think 160,000 copies of Bad Feminist. Wow. Which is... I feel very happy about that number. Yeah. Um, maybe more. So I know that the book is really out there and I know that my book, my writing at the guardian and, and now the New York times is widely read. I didn't realize the reach of the New York times until I started writing there. And yeah. then I was like, Holy cow. Like, you know, they count page views in terms of hundreds of thousands and then millions, which I didn't know. And so I, I realized that my reach is growing and that my career is evolving. But it's hard to remember when I'm sitting, like, for example, right now in my apartment in Lafayette, Indiana, and I just got back from the gym, and later I'm going to make a sandwich for dinner. Like, it's just, you know, right. life goes on. and I live a very normal life until I don't. And so, yeah, I think people are in part reacting to, oh, here's a public figure, and they start to think that you're not human. Uh, And I think that there's also a group of people that just resent me for various reasons, and they're entitled to that as well. And then there are just the people who blindly hate and what they see as a fat black woman achieving success, and that's not supposed to happen, and so they need to tear me down. Right. Well, I was going to say that kind of goes back to what I was talking about with you as an avatar for all these different things. And, and once people, mm-hmm. once people sort of associate you there, then they're just reacting against that for whatever reasons they may have, you know? Um, yes, absolutely. But you speak, you know, we, we were talking a little bit about the evolution of your career and I mentioned, you know, earlier about how, you know, four years has gone by. It, it, it's gone by very quickly and, and so much has happened for you. Just to review an, uh, an untamed state, your debut novel uh, came out from Grove, correct? Correct. And then it was Bad Feminist. Mm-hmm. And then it's like the New York Times and The Guardian. Mm-hmm. Now we have Difficult Women. Mm-hmm. We have World of Wakanda. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes, you are. So World of Wakanda is you're the first black woman to write a uh, Marvel comic, correct? Yeah, I'm the first black woman to lead a Marvel title. And I didn't know that when I agreed to do the comic. And... Uh, it blows my mind because it was 2016. So I I would have assumed that this had been well-tread territory, but it hasn't been. And so that's really exciting and also overwhelming because, you know, you just, to be the first in 2016 is just so surprising. And yet 
it's still happening. And so with that came a lot of attention. And I also didn't realize how many people read comic books. It's a lot. I mean, do you read comic books? I mean, I guess you do now, right? When I was a kid, I read Archie comics religiously. I loved them. And the ongoing adventures of Betty and Veronica, Archie and Jughead. But I wasn't really into superhero comics. And then when ta Coates wrote me and asked me if I'd be interested in a crazy idea, and I learned what the crazy idea was, I started to read comics to see what is happening in the genre today. And so it's been a lot of fun to explore this world. It's a big world. I mean, God, those Marvel movies and, and I mean, just comic books alone, but then you take the movie adaptations and everything and it becomes, you know, it's one of the biggest media entities out there. Absolutely. It, you know, like I always joke, but it's also kind of true. The reason I said yes is because I would love to meet uh, the actor who plays Thor. <laughs> <laughs> who is that? Who, who plays Thor? Uh, Chris Hemsworth. Okay. And he's, oh my God, he's so fucking hot. I can't even <laughs> handle it. It's just so incredible. I just want to like stand next to him and just poke him a little bit somewhere <laughs> and, you know, just admire him yes. and his many talents. So let's say, wait, let's say this happens. Let's say this happens. You actually are in the yes. room with this guy. Could you handle yourself in his presence? Oh, of course. Of course. You could. Uh, but I would be very happy. <laughs> You wouldn't get shy. Would like, just, would you? Would you? Would you uh, become inward and quiet, or would you be able to talk? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I would probably be somewhere in the middle. I wouldn't be a freak about it, but I wouldn't be like all up in his face either, because I, I do respect boundaries, and I would be just overwhelmed by his beauty. He's <laughs> so attractive. It would be the same thing with my boyfriend Channing. I was going to say. Be, Mm. I feel mm. like I feel like that's I feel like that's going to happen. I feel like you and Channing Tatum are destined to meet at some point. That's got to happen. I feel like we are. I really do. I think that we're going to meet and we're going to be really good friends. And he's just so handsome. You got to oh, you got to write him in. Write him into Wakanda. Get him in there somehow. Oh, I don't, I'm trying to write him into my movie. <laughs> he would be great as Michael and and I don't think I'm going to get my way on this regard, but that's okay. But wait, you so okay? So we were going over this just a second ago. Untamed state, mm -hmm. bad feminist, difficult women, world of Wakanda, New York Times, The Guardian. Um, there's a book called Hunger, uh, which yeah. is a nonfiction book about like food and body stuff, which was supposed to come out and then got delayed. Is that correct? That is correct. Well, why did it get delayed? You just were just wanted to do some more work on it. Well, there are only so many hours in the day. I've actually been on the road nonstop since. May 2014, which has made writing time precious. But more than that, Hunger is a very personal book. It's a memoir of my body. And so I dragged my heels for a really long time. And I've struggled with the amount of vulnerability I've put into this book and a lot of fear about putting this book out into the world and sort of facing myself on the page. And so definitely, you know, the delay just comes from being human and being afraid, uh, but it will be out in June. All right, everybody, there we have it. That is a flashback to episode 448, my conversation with Roxanne Gay, which aired on January 11th, 2017. Be sure to check Roxanne out on the internet, RoxanneGay.com. Read her Substack. It is called The Audacity. Join the book club. Follow her on Twitter at rgay. Check out 
the debut novel on Roxanne Gay Books. It is called And Then He Sang a Lullaby by Nigerian writer Ani Coyote Samtuchukwu. It's publishing in just a couple of days. Always great to talk with Roxanne. The Other People podcast is offered freely. The entire archive is made available for free. More than 830, 840 episodes, something like that. So the entire conversation that you just heard an outtake from, you can listen to that. Episode 448. Go search for it in the podcast feed. All of the episodes I have ever done are made available without a paywall. So this is a listener-supported show. If you like this show... If you had a good experience, if you feel like you get something from it, please know that you can support this show for as little as a dollar a month over at patreon.com slash other PPL pod. It's a sliding scale. So one, three, five, whatever. And uh, you can get some merchandise as you move up the scale over at patreon.com slash other PPL pod. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen you can also subscribe on youtube the other people youtube channel search for it by name other ppl get yourself another people t-shirt at otherppl.com the show's official website if you have a couple of minutes and you would be so kind i would appreciate it if you would rate this podcast wherever you listen takes a couple of seconds give it a rating write a little review if that's an option and help the show find new listeners. If you would like to sign up for my free once-a-week email newsletter, you can do that at otherppl.com or bradlesty.com. Follow The Other People Show on social media, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Keep up with all that is going on. If you would like to read my latest novel, it's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. It is out there now in trade paperback, ebook, and audiobook editions. I narrate the audiobook. So go get that. It's called Be Brief and Tell Them Everything. And on Sunday, I'll have a new episode for you, a full episode, a conversation with Jim Ruland, author of the novel Make It Stop, available now from Rare Bird Books. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm.